Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Boy, it's just a dead weekend in Florida State sports. Nothing going on here. Welcome in, everybody, to the Sunday Smash. Cheers to you alongside the managing editor of Warchant.com, Irish O'Fell. My name is Tom Lang, and you are watching us on Warchant TV, many of the platforms. If you are on YouTube, folks, please do us a favor as you're settling in. Hit the like button underneath this video. Subscribe to Warchant TV if you have not done so already. Let's get that up to, oh, I don't know, 150 likes in the first half an hour. That would be a swell if you could do that and help us out here at Warchan TV. Ira, I got to say, for spending a week at Amelia Island, and we'll get to FSU's accomplishments this weekend in a second, the sunburn slash suntan factor is pretty good. You did a good job out there this week. How's it going? <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Yeah, I wish I had spent a little bit more time outside, uh, but this was a little bit busier than the usual uh, trip to Amelia Island for the spring meetings. And uh, again, unfortunately, you know, last year, uh, well, not last year, excuse me, I think it was the last time they held the meetings in person over there was 2019. And uh, I ended up interviewing David Coburn out by the pool, which was lovely over a couple of beers and uh, nice. had the interview there. But um, the last two years, we haven't had the meetings, the spring meetings. So it was nice to get back over there this time. Did not interview Michael Alford by the pool, but uh did get to uh, Mike Norvell actually took some of the uh, media to lunch, which was nice. So we get to like kind of have a nice little chat um, over lunch one day. So that was really cool. So it wasn't between Jaeger bombs or anything like that with Norvell, uh, your interview? No, no, you think you would think he's you know young guy, you know, maybe we could kind of get loose. But yeah, I think he had, he had another he had another engagement to get to after that. So he couldn't get too crazy. Well, if you want to get loose or calm down or whatever it is you do when uh, you enjoy, uh, make sure to stop by our friends at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits who are bringing you this presentation of Sunday Smash, in part at least. Uh, our friends at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits have awesome deals for you. Make sure to become an insider member, ABC Access member, and as you rack up loyalty points, if you like rare bourbons, I know a lot of you out there do, uh, that helps you. Uh, you'll see right underneath on the, on the video here, the scroll uh, awesome news and uh, promotions from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. You'll find them anywhere in the state of Florida. So before we get going with uh, the talk about Amelia Island, and Eric, I see you. Welcome to Sunday Smash yourself, sir. Uh, Jeff is not here this this time, as you can see. Eric, uh, it's Ira, but uh, we appreciate the contribution. ACC Championships, Ira, two of them uh, acquired by Florida State Sports this weekend. Of course, softball, that's what they do, the 18th ACC championship in program history for FSU softball. And then track and field also. Men's track and field won the ACC crown. 
as well as non-ACC title, but a huge two out of three series win for FSU baseball over Miami. What were you fixed on this weekend as Florida State sports was everywhere? Yeah, I definitely spent more time uh, out of baseball, but um, the track thing does – softball was impressive the way they did it. I mean, they've got 18 ACC championships now, so it's not necessarily a huge story when FSU wins the ACC softball championship, although that league has gotten so much better uh, than it used to be when, when FSU just would kind of cruise through it. Um, but, I, you know, the track thing is interesting. And Corey and I talked about we need to do something on the track program. Obviously, they have some impressive player, impressive athletes on that team, but uh, also just kind of what Bob Raymond has done. They've kind of reinvented that program. You know, there was it wasn't that long ago. I, I can't remember how many years it was that he had some turnover on the staff, replaced a longtime popular sprints coach, Ken Harnden, brought in uh, Ricky Argo, who's uh, done a really good job and kind of changed some things in that program. And, you know, when you've won national championships, which they had done, and then, you know, at some point you kind of change your philosophy and change your approach and, and make, make some big, not change your approach too much, but make some big changes on your staff. And they've had a lot of turnover on the staff, coaches moving on. Uh, to still have this kind of success, I think, is, is really speaks highly of uh, Coach Brayman and his staff. Yeah, winning being done across the board this weekend. And also, you're going to win in about 20, 25 minutes here on Sunday Smash as Michael Langston will join the program. Make sure i got to set that up and promote that. So if you've got questions about the transfer portal or some kids that will play here in like five years, go for it. Make sure you queue those up, and, and we'll see if we can feed those down the line uh, to Michael, who's already in the green room. He's already connected here, so he's he's working ahead of time. I'm seeing Ira in the chat as uh, obviously it's seven o'clock tonight. Is the FSU softball actually the NCAA softball selection show? FSU figured to be the number two or number three overall national seed. Folks are saying they're the two seed. I have not run that down on the official account for FSU softball yet. I'm taking a look at it, but uh, so far the early word would appear that outside of Oklahoma, there is FSU with a path to Oklahoma City that goes right through Tallahassee for regional and super regional play. That's not a surprise. No, it's not a huge surprise, but it's awesome, man. You know, again, this season that they've had has been, again, you know, FSU softball, you can't, you know, it's it's almost like the wins and and championships uh, kind of blend together because they've been so successful and they played at such a high level. But what's really been impressive, and I think Corey wrote about it a few weeks ago, is the way that they've won so many of these games. I mean, these even, you know, we saw it uh, against Clemson, the ACC championship game. And throughout that tournament where they it's not like they're just steamrolling everybody. They've had uh, games where they've had to come from behind multiple times and they just different players step up in in so many different ways. And so uh, that's huge for them going into the postseason, because, again, they've been through it. Sometimes when you have a team like I know Oklahoma just lost in their conference uh, tournament to Oklahoma State. Sometimes when you're so dominant and somebody beats you, that can kind of shake you a little bit. Well, Florida State's been through so much in softball that uh, I think they're really well prepared. They are. It's been a great difficult schedule the whole way around. And you're right. You don't want to give up 15 runs in three games in the ACC tournament. You shouldn't be doing that, uh, ideally. But FSU fights back. And and the later games go, Ira, if they're a one-run game or a tie game, the later the game goes, the more it just seems like a fait accompli that here comes another win for softball. And there it is, the announcement. It's official. The number two national seed goes to Florida State softball. And you can see there in the graphic, here's where they're hosting. Here, who is uh, – who they're hosting this upcoming week. It's Mississippi State, USF, and Howard in regional play. Uh, we'll see if that's a Thursday to Saturday or a Friday to Sunday. That information is to come. But those are the groups that are going to be here in Tallahassee. So whether you have a seat to the complex or you go by that parking garage across the way, uh, you could probably still catch a Michaela Enfield home run. She hits a medley. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> if you're in you that parking garage. You could be at the Momos on Tennessee Street and find one of her home runs. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. So congratulations to FSU softball. And, and again, before we get to football, the baseball team, you watched it, Ira. I saw that you put up a story already. Uh, Mike Martin Jr. is well aware of the implications for the RPI and what this two out of three series win did for FSU. Increased the chances of Florida State baseball hosting a regional, as was their annual right for so many years. Uh, this puts Florida State somewhere, depending upon where you look, it could be Warren Nolan or Boyd's World, but in that 15 to 16 range with a bunch of RPI games, good ones coming up this next week with Florida and uh, North Carolina on the road. What did you see at the ballpark this weekend slash out of the baseball team in general? Yeah, and no, I thought it was a great weekend. I mean, first of all, the fact that, uh, you know, just the atmosphere, you know, Mike Martin Jr. talked about it after the game Saturday night. Um, you know, and I guess it's it's the uh, it's the weekend with the uh, the animals have their wiffle ball tournament. So, and they've got that break between the two games. So they're pretty uh, well lubricated uh, by the nightcap. And uh, so the crowd was awesome Saturday. It was just what Florida State baseball has always been. And you love to see it. it we haven't always seen it going back to the pandemic, limited crowds, and and then this team kind of getting off to a tough start. And, um, you know, the, it was a great crowd for the Florida game, but it was obviously a great crowd uh, this weekend. And, and um, so that was that was really cool. And then they took care of business, winning two or three games against number six team in the country, beating your rival two out of three is a big deal. But also, again, it, it puts put you in position for these next few games. And now if they go out there and they, they lose to Florida and they, there's no shame in losing at Florida, or if they don't, you know, win the series in North Carolina, it's not the end of the world, but they put them themselves in position now where with a strong finish, they can be a host team. And that, you know, it wasn't that long ago. It was just about a month ago. I think they were like 18 and 13 or something like that in this on the season. They had some ugly losses. So they've done a good job of putting themselves back in position to host, which will be huge because we saw it this weekend. This team is a different team at home and on the road. They need to be at home for the postseason and, and, uh, They've at least kind of taken another step to, towards doing that. I was unable to make it to that wiffle ball tailgate. I like to typically. It's a fun time, but I was down in Palm Harbor, Florida, celebrating. I'll, I'll brag on this for just a moment. My folks' 50th wedding anniversary was this weekend, awesome. so I was able to celebrate that down there, but I was keeping close tabs on FSU baseball, watching a lot of it, especially today. Uh, but to lose the game that Parker Messick starts and still win the weekend series is really impressive. And one right. player that – I was really tough on to begin the season that I just need to back the hell off is why Crowell his ERA is sub two at this point, Ira. And, you know, I think it's 40 plus innings. He's pitched now for FSU. His ERA was, you know, 10, 15. It was huge to begin the season. So he's basically been an iron man since that point as James B comes in from the top rope. Thank you, James B. I'm so happy. I'm so happy for the play in the diamond. I'm happy for you, James B. Thank you so much for your contribution to the program. But uh, Crowell has just been outstanding and nails for the last month to six weeks. Yeah, thanks a lot, James B. That's awesome, man. Florida State fans got to be happy this weekend. There's a lot of good news this weekend. I mean, just one thing after another uh, was really positive this weekend. But, no, you're right, man. Crowell looked dominant. Uh, and I, I also thought, you know, I was texting with Aslan and Corey uh, during that game. You know, he had a situation in that game where things could have gone south. He thought they were going to come get him. He gives up, gives up a single – uh, I think hits a batter, hits the next batter. Then he uh, gives up a bunt single, and you know, he's got the bases loaded and gives up a run on a pass ball. That I mean, the Colton Vincent struggled a little bit in that game, but he gives up a run. Now there's runners at second and third, and, and, and Miami looks like they're perched to you know maybe kind of you know take back over that game. And man, it's strikeout, strikeout, flyout. He's out of the inning. 
that's tough to do, man. That's really tough to do. And it's impressive. And, uh, you know, you look at him, the way Ross Dunn, I mean, I think Dunn yep. may, Dunn may be, I don't know, he's only come out of the pen a couple times this year, but he might be more comfortable coming out of the pen. Uh, Adam Hare looked electric when he came in. So, you know, you'd like to think that, man, it's, it's starting to kind of come together. Yeah, and again, you know, I, I hope that they're coming to the conclusion that Carson Montgomery might be later in the game. You know, it's just they've given him a lot of at-bats. I know it's, he's pitching, but they've given him a lot of looks, uh, you know, weekend starts, and I just I don't know that that's going to work out. Maybe Ross Dunn earned a look. I mean, whoever it's going to be, Scalaro got a big out earlier today but then ran into some uh, trouble. Uh, but they've got more options. It feels like the pitching staff, some guys have turned it around, and, and now Meat's got quite a few options. So, we could talk more about baseball as the show goes on. If you have questions in the chat, then we'll certainly engage. Uh, but there's a lot of big picture conversations going on in Amelia Island this week. It's not just about FSU football or the ACC, but the state of college football, uh, the transfer portal, NIL, guidance, uh, calling for federal legislation. What's the ACC's future in TV deals? Ira, it's, it's like, you know, there are a lot of chicken littles in this fan base, and I, I'm, I'm kind of worried too because when you see those charts about how much more the SEC and the Big Ten are going to earn, year over year for TV contracts in the next 10 to 15 years. It's staggering, but it sounded like Jim Phillips, you know, found a little bit of a pride and uh, he was a little bit stronger from the pulpit than maybe I, I expected. What I guess we'll go big picture there first with the ACC commissioner. How did you see it and hear it this week at Amelia Island? Not only for the official media session, but you know, for the mining that you were doing for info around uh, the president's coaches and, uh, and obviously the ACC commissioner. Yeah, I don't know if people are ready for this though. We we kind of had so many positive things, and now we're and now, now we're going to uh, the ACC meetings and the future of the ACC. But yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. And guys, don't leave us. We're gonna we're gonna get back to the good stuff here in a little bit. And it's bringing in Michael to talk recruiting, uh, as Tom said as well. But um, you know, I I just think he he did present as positive an outlook as he could. And we talked to some of the athletic directors. I mean, I talked to the ads at Miami and even Wake Forest, and uh, you know, across the board, Clemson. Um, and, and everybody's projecting, um, you know, positive attitude that they're excited about Jim Phillips. They're excited about his leadership. This was the first meeting they've had with him in person since he took over about 18 months ago. Uh, he's an established guy. You know, people don't, if people haven't looked up his resume, he was the athletic director at Northwestern. There were a lot of people that thought the big 10 was going to name him their commissioner. They ended up not doing that. Some people feel like they probably regret that decision. And now he's running the ACC. Um, but I just don't know. I mean, you just look at the cards they're dealt. You look at the cards this conference is dealt, and that includes Florida State, and it just it, it looks bleak, you know, for the long term, you know, future of the conference. I mean, it just and and everybody's trying to be as positive as possible, and they're they're trying to do as many things as they can. And you know, Jim Phillips talked about some of the opportunities they think that they have to increase the revenue, but the numbers you talked about are the numbers. I mean, the SEC they just redid, redid that deal for the Sunday games or excuse me, the uh, the afternoon games, the 3.30 games, where they moved it from CBS to ESPN for a fortune. I mean, literally a fortune um, on top of the fortune they were already making. And then you add in Texas and Oklahoma, uh, that power play. And, you know, sometimes when conferences add members, sometimes the question is like, does it dilute the payments? Does it, you know, yeah, you're bringing in these two schools and they might have a fan a following, but now you've got to split that pie up by two more people according to the projections, they added Texas and Oklahoma, their pies, their pieces of the pie are even getting bigger, even though they added two schools. And so, um, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten are making so much more money than the ACC and the Big 12 and the Pac-12. And uh, I thought the comments from Jack Swarbrick, Notre Dame's athletic director, were really 
uh, poignant because he said, look, everybody's trying to figure out how to align with those two power conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten. Well, that's a hell of a thing to say at the ACC spring meetings. So I, I don't know, man. It's hard, to, it's hard to walk out of that feeling good about the long-term health of the ACC. Welcome to the chat, David. I see he's up at 1.18 in the morning in Spain because he needed Sunday Smash. So it's an international show. It is. I'll tell you, Ira, the one Welcome thing I laughed, I laughed about um, because I just it sounded so corporate um, when he was talking about the Comcast increase. He's like, it's a nice little bump. It sounded and reminded me of being in radio meetings over the years. And one of my superiors saying, all right, let's give him a one dollar an hour raise. That's a nice little bump. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a nice little bump, I'm sure. And you have to be like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, do you think that the Comcast bump is really nice or is it, you know, maybe a million or a million and a half a team or, or is it something more than that? I don't think it's much more than that. I mean, the thing is, reality is, you know, they, they, they got part of that bump this past year. So they did, from what I understand, they did get more money from the ACC network this past year because that Comcast deal went into place midway through the year. And this will be the first full year of it. But, you know, one of the things I look at, and, and it's hard to know exactly what that's going to be, but look at the fact that, I, I, I don't know, are you on Comcast or you, you're on Metronet? Yeah, do, no, I, do I, you, I dropped do it. You guys, do you guys have the AC network? I do, yes. Okay. Um, yeah. On Comcast, like it's great that they carry it now, but it's on channel like 1 million and 20. I mean, it is so far out the dial. There's the, 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 there's the SEC network. Then you go through all these like music channels. Then you go back. I don't know what tier it is, but it's not one of the top ones. Then the SEC channel comes up again. Then you get the ACC network. So I don't think they're getting top dollar. Like they got on Comcast, but I don't think they're getting as much money as the SEC got on Comcast. And they shouldn't. That's yeah. the thing. You know, that's to me, that's the, the bottom line to all this is look at the enrollment of the schools in the SEC. Look at the enrollment and fan bases of the schools in the Big Ten. Look at the size of the stadiums. Look at the fan bases and alumni bases. And they dwarf the ACC. And that's what it comes down to. I mean, the quality of football is a big problem, and you can get better in that. But at the end of the day, that is going to always keep the ACC making a lot less money. So to me, the long-term play is, is at some point either getting out of the ACC, which might be 15 years from now based on the grant of rights, or if there is some sort of just massive overhaul of college football where they're in super conferences, to me, that might be the best-case scenario. But even that could be – you know, five, 10 years down the road. Yeah, Kayvon's right. That's what I was thinking too, Kayvon. The, the you know, ACC network is like after the adult industry channels and, and it's around like you're getting a school board meeting in Munich. <laughs> yeah. Like what's going on with our middle school kids and you got angry German people talking to each other. There's the ACC network. You found it right there. I, you know, because I had it uh, just as Comcast was adding ACC network and that's when I dropped. Um, I ended up going with Sling over YouTube TV I still am carrying both right now because Sling gets ACC Network Extra. YouTube TV does not, and that was really frustrating. I was like, oh, good. It's a problem solved. No, there's no way to log in to the ESPN portal uh, for ACC Network Extra, which is where you find but, a lot of baseball games. But that whole thing, this whole thing, this whole process is so illustrative of the whole thing. When the SEC Network was – when Comcast was playing hardball with the SEC Network, they backed down, and the SEC Network got on. Like right before the season, they, they did not miss a year with it. When ACC, when the ACC tried to do it, you know they're like, nah, nah, we'll wait, we'll wait till our contract with Disney's up, and then we'll we'll agree to it to some degree. But again, so how much are they paying? If if Comcast is giving the SEC network or the SEC, you know, say it's two dollars a person or three dollars a person, what are they giving the ACC? And I right. guarantee you, it's a fraction of that, and that's man, it's just where they are. 
It's just a uh, that 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 to me, you know, David Hale. And this isn't just me. I mean, David Hale had several tweets after the uh, who's with ESPN, several tweets after the meetings, and he said it. You know, it feels to some degree as rearranging chairs on the Titanic, which you know you hate saying that, but it's just it's hard to see a scenario where the ACC can ever close that revenue gap that is now, you know, five years from now, maybe $40 million a year per school. Yeah, this is more rhetorical than anything, but I also wonder, like, when court cutting continues, what is the future payout for any, you know, conference? Is is everybody just dropping down because of court cutting, or is this going to be converted to an ESPN streaming deal or Paramount Plus eventually? is Are they going to jump in? Like, what are those new carriers going to do, and how are they going to influence the conversation? The interesting thing, too, is, you can't have where it's going and where it's been in college football, where three or four teams, maybe, you know, five in a given year are always competing for a title because then the ratings go down and you're devaluing the overall product. So now the networks aren't even happy. And, and that's what my hope is. And I think we agree on that, that if this conversation is going to change, if there's going to be a life raft for the Titanic for Florida state and the ACC, it's going to be that the networks see that competitive balance is necessary to keep interest high. And so maybe they'll start the conversations to, you know, reclassify or do whatever. It did sound like um, as Jim Phillips is on the transformation committee, which I, I found interesting, and that was news to me. Uh, he is talking aggressively. He chooses his words carefully. He's talking aggressively about reclassification of football or, or you know, having the college football playoff run it themselves. I found that interesting. And, you know, where do you see that heading? And might there be implications where maybe just maybe the conference and slash FSU can make a few more bucks if it moves into a different realm or, or does it not matter? Yeah, that was really hard. It was, it was really hard to kind of get a feel for what he was talking about there. I, I do think, and to explain to people that didn't read the stories or um, from the, from the week, you know, we, we met with commissioner Phillips at the end of the, at the end of the week of meetings. And he was talking about the, you know, some big picture things that they've got to do with that transformation transformation committee with the NCAA and trying to look at some things. And he brought it up on his own that we're looking at football and whether or not it's time to move football off to its own, have its own governing body, and leave the NCAA to run everything else. The feeling from a lot of people is, look, the NCAA can run championships. They can oversee a lot of these other sports, but let football have its own oversight. Um, and, I, you know, and that, that makes sense. But is that all? You know, to me, that's not that's not that transformational. They've already kind of been doing that. You know, they've, they've got the Power Five now has autonomy about uh, full cost of attendance and and guaranteed scholarships, and they've kind of been going down that road anyway. So to me, that's not that revolu- revolutionary. It makes me wonder if maybe it is a step in the direction of of something bigger in terms of college football and maybe divisions. You know, where you've got he did mention subdivisions uh, beyond just FBS and FCS. Maybe you'd have three or four different subdivision tiers of schools, and you know, Florida State obviously would want to be in that top tier. Um, so. You know, we have to see how it all plays out and, and how that affects conferences um, and because that will ultimately change or it could affect, you know, those payouts. But, you know, it's funny. The week started. There was so much talk about NIL and tampering and, um, you know, the scheduling and, and kind of these small picture topics. You know, they're, they're more micro. And then at the end, at the very end, the last conversation we have, he brings up this real macro discussion that I don't think we have a lot of really good clarity on that. It's probably going to play out over these next several months. I forget what culture says, and it's a proverb or whatever. It's a saying, may you live in interesting times. Well, we certainly are in college football. It's it, The changing is, is coming, uh, and it's going to be fundamental, I think, to the sport. It already has, but, I mean, there's more coming. It's just a matter of how the dominoes fall. It's going to be a really interesting story to tell. 
As for now, in the micro sense, sorting things out like tampering, NIL, and transfer portal, that's the world of one Michael Langston. That's how he has to live now. It used to be that this time of year, Michael would go on his vacation to Hawaii, and then he comes back, and there are some junior day camps. And, like, that's it. You know, what, what are the, the high school kids doing now? Michael, welcome to the program. Welcome to Sunday Smash. It's a fundamentally different existence for you, sir, because you've got to have hot boards for not only the recruits in the summer and the, and the junior days, but now it's what five players are is Florida State interested in bringing in in the transfer portal. So welcome to the program, Michael. Uh, tell us a little bit, first of all, about your week and, and where things uh, generally stand for FSU uh, when it comes to transfer portal news. Yeah, it's uh it's been a wild, uh, interesting day. By the way, I don't know how we're gonna follow up with anything after the FSU sports delivered the weekend that they did this weekend. Uh ACC champs and track, uh, you know, softball team winning ACC championship and then FSU pulling the unthinkable uh and winning a baseball against Miami. I never saw that coming, so I don't know how you follow that, but uh it's been pretty good. Um like this this weekend, people have followed. Um, yeah, the JUCO uh, transfer defensive end that busy this weekend seems like FSU seems to be in a good position. That's not portal news. He's more of a 2023 guy that that they're pretty pretty high on. That um, certainly made an impact. And then earlier this week, I dropped some names on the uh, you know the message board about you know guys I'm hearing that there's activity with. One was Dimitri Emanuel, offensive lineman from Charlotte. That should ring a bell since that's where. Atkins is from. Uh, he knows this kid. So I think if he pushes, he's going to get that kid. And then another guy we mentioned did a story on, and Ira raved about him, uh, is defensive back Josh Newton, uh, Louisiana Monroe. Phenomenal kid. Uh, it's as good as you saw in the interview. That's exactly what he's like in, in person, just talking to him. I was I was extremely impressed, just his mindset and the way he looks at things. People can go on there. It's about four kids. I'm not going to list every single one of them, but um, certainly uh, – you know, those are kind of the four that I, I've heard that 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 they're looking at, and then you know certainly uh, you know they they had a few uh, like I said a defensive end visit this weekend that I went over and, and talk, broke down that story so people can read it on the the front page. But yeah, that's kind of where they sit with the portal. There's four guys that there's solid activity from. That's not that doesn't mean they're just four guys. There's I, I have like 15, 20 names, uh, but I'm kind of waiting to see where it transpires with the you know, the visits, once visits are set up, then I'll start addressing these guys more specifically. But those are kind of four, and mainly even those two that I think uh, that I'm focused on, those two right now that I just mentioned, Josh Newton and the offensive line from Charlotte. So it will pick up, and then June's going to be pure hell because there's going to be mega camp. There's going to be stuff every day. It's going to be heavy. Uh, I was even told, over the weekend that FSU is going to be hosting like close to 10 or 11 official visitors in June, late June, the last weekend in June. So that tells you kind of where we're shifting in college football, that you're hosting 11 kids in the summer. Uh, so I think, I think it's going to get really busy. I know people freak out like, Mike, there's not as many guys on campus. Like, yeah, that's because they've hosted like a million here in the spring. And so it'll pick up a lot in the spring, uh, in the summer, it's going to be extremely busy around the Moore Athletic Center and uh, busy around FSU with camp time. So this is just starting. It's about to start to crank up in June. Yeah, man, that my guy Newton, who uh, is uh, he went in the portal from uh, Louisiana Monroe, ULM, played for as Terry Bowden last season, and uh, went in the portal, came back out of the portal. Now he's graduated, went back in the portal again. And that interview, man, was awesome. And I encourage people to go read it. It's up on the site at WarChant. 
Um, he's a corner, which I know a lot of people are kind of wondering why Florida State is still in the market for a DB. Some people feel like they should be focused more on other positions. Um, but he's a corner, and he's a really good corner, according to power uh, PFS rank, rankings. And then you hear him talk. I love that kid, man. And, and if he – one of the things he talked about was just – you know, just talking about the recruiting process. And he's like, man, I don't need all the photo shoots. I don't need to be swayed. I want to, we're going to have a mature conversation. How can you help me? How can I help you? Is that the place I need to be at Florida state? And I just was real impressed. And, and if he, and his grades at PFF are very impressive. I think they're high seventies uh, as a cornerback. Florida state doesn't have anybody else really playing at that level. I like that guy. And it doesn't mean they can't go out and get another offensive lineman, defensive end, other positions, but, but I really like that kid. Yeah. I, I, we talked for about 30 minutes and I, I was really impressed with him. And I, I don't, there's a, like a select few that I saved just for favorites. And, and he definitely fell into that when he, when he started discussing just his mindset of, of things of the of an understanding of, of what's important when you get, when you go through the process he's going to, and it kind of tells you what's different about high school recruiting. And then you go to transfer portal recruiting it's a lot different and this kid has the right mindset to going into the situation, no matter if it's FSU or not. Do I feel good about, yeah, I, I feel there's a, a really good shot there, but I don't think it matters where this kid goes. Um, I think he's going to do extremely well um, just because his mindset and he knows what he's going into. There's not a, I need you to do this for me or that. There's none of that stuff. It's like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I have to do. I know what my skill set is. I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. I know what each system is expecting of me. And uh, let's get it done. I mean, that's kind of the focus. And so, uh, yeah, I was blown away just as much as you or I when you read that. Uh, uh, it was a fun time. Uh, Josh was very good. And actually, he told me, like, his brother was graduating, so uh, the visit is supposed to be kind of this week coming up on Thursday, and I think his brother is graduating on Saturday, so he wants to get back to home. So he just – I mean, everything seems to be with that kid. Um, he's got a good head on his shoulders, and he knows exactly what he's looking for. I want to ask you one more question about the portal. So when we were over uh, at Amelia Island talking to Mike Norvell, he said, you know, obviously they've got – um, you know, four or five or six. We're not sure exactly how many of the high school guys are going to be coming in. There's the four uh, that had signed in February that, or December or February that should be coming in, three offensive linemen and a tight end. There's also the possibility of, um, I guess, Woody is still a possibility. And then also Destin Hill is still out there, and there's hope that he might be able to come in. Um, and then, you know, he's <laughs> looking at one or two transfer portal. He, he said – one or two transfer portal guys, and then they may look and use extra scholarships they have to reward walk-ons. Do you think that means that they don't feel as good about what's out there uh, in the portal, like what's available? Or do you think um, maybe they, they, they don't see um, guys that they can get involved with? I mean, I, I know you said you're tracking several guys, um, but that comment was a little surprising to me that he, he said they may only sign – a couple more transfer portal people. I think a lot of us thought maybe it might be three or four. Yeah, I, I'm i not that shocked by it. That's a good question. It's a good point, Ira. I'm not that shocked because they clearly want a DB and they clearly want an offensive lineman. We know those things. Those things are clear. Newton, they clearly want. And then if the right guy comes across, uh, you know, like the Dimitri Emanuel kid that I covered from Charlotte, they decide to push. They know they can get that kid. So 
But I think the other thing is they're after several offensive linemen. And for people that want to know, yes, the offensive linemen is the place that they're recruiting the hardest. They've, they've, <clears throat> there's activity with so many guys. But as, as what I will point out is like, are those guys better than the guys that you already have that they're working with? And so I think FSU feels good about their group. Uh, I think they feel good about, you know, if Antavius Woody makes it, is that guy going to be better than us taking a Juco guy? Yes. That's the way they feel that they're good. So I think the point is right now, what's in the portal, the guys that I mentioned, those are the ones that they feel better possibilities or, or activity with. And right now there's not guys in the portal that they're just, uh, I gotta have, you know, really Newton's the only one that we know for sure. Like he seems to be the guy that they want for sure. But, I don't think it's that surprising. And, and I think too many fans, like even on our boards, they act like this is the offensive line uh, from four years ago. The FSU has to sign 25 guys or get six portal guys. I think if you get one more offensive lineman, you're, you're sitting pretty good with what that offensive line is. So I don't think they need a lot that, hey, if there's a linebacker that jumps out to them, just like there was a DB with Josh Newton, you know, I think uh, – those opinions probably will change Ira um, on the one and two numbers. But right now I could see that one and two number. That's interesting, Michael. So, you know, one more offensive lineman could hold down the fort for this year. They feel pretty good, obviously, about that class that they signed this year for maybe 2024 or maybe as soon as next year. Do you get that sense the way they're recruiting the offensive line position for the upcoming class that they feel pretty good about what could you know, they just need a bridge, basically, is my question. You think that's yeah. how they're approaching it? Yeah, I think they're approaching it. And I think the interesting part is they really haven't gone after another receiver. So it leads you to believe not to get people excited about the D word uh, with Dustin Hill, but it makes you feel like this is a possibility if they're not actively really pushing for guys. I mean, they had a chance to get the Landers kid who ended up at Arkansas today. They had a chance to go after that kid. And I've heard that he was pretty interested in FSU, but they didn't push. So it makes you wonder how good they feel they feel pretty good about either the receiver group or uh, the fact that they're going to get Dustin Hill. And at some point they feel like uh, Winston Wright's going to come back this year. Right. You know, so they might feel good about that. So I think they just feel good overall with the bridge of their roster of kind of how it's sitting and, and where it's developing into. Yeah. And that's one thing. Sorry, Tom. The one thing I just wanted to say to, to I think with both of those positions, wide receiver and offensive line, we got to remember that, and again, I'm not telling you you should just blindly trust coaches, but we also have to remember that they've got more information than we have. And so they may feel really good about Winston Wright's recovery. They may feel really good about Destin Hill. They also may feel better about that offensive line than, than we think from the standpoint of going into the spring. The one thing we were all kind of expecting or hoping to see was that Caden Lyles could be the answer at center and then Bless Harris maybe could be the answer at tackle. Some people, because neither one of those – just just jumped off of the page in, in those 15 spring practices and where we all walked away just being blown away by them. I think people have taken that as that those guys aren't going to be what they want them to be. You know, I, when I when we did talk to Coach Norvell over in Amelia Island, you know, I just asked him, I said, man, how good do you feel about those two guys? And he he's very excited about both of them. He's really excited about Caden Lyles and Bless Harris. So, so those guys may be better than people think based on what they were hearing from those spring practices. And if they are, you already were bringing back everybody else on the offensive line. That, that, that group 
I still think they need to go get one, but maybe it means they don't have to go out and get two or three offensive linemen. Maybe if they just get one, they'll be they'll be in good shape. Yeah, I, I and that's why I say one because yeah, you have several guys that we haven't even seen a lot, like Lloyd Willis, Rod, um, or there's several guys in there that they're around every day, so they know a lot more than any of us can can speculate on because they're working with these kids every day. They know where the development's going. We know the job that Atkins has done since he's been here in, in really just uh, recreating this, this offensive line. And I agree with Ira that, that you add one more. I think, I think you're in pretty good shape. And, and they also, also the thing to remember too, is they have more summer kids coming in. Julian Armel is now here. Jalen early is a, a four, another four star from Texas that is going to add more to see what he can do. His body frame seems to be there that he could, he could help them some. Uh, maybe maybe it might take both of those guys a year to get into it, but there's more guys coming. So just because they don't rave about these guys or we don't hear, you know, you hear all this stuff because these coaches see more than what we see or, you know, our or, or uh, any of our great team guys that do the stuff. I mean, there's stuff that they know about their team that we don't know. So, Michael, it seems like, you know, traditional recruiting might be for another week on, on Smash or certainly in the recruiting shows that you have here on WarChan TV. I'll ask one final question for the portal, and then we'll let you go about your Sunday night. Okay. Is it fair to say that uh, the coaching staff is just staying nimble with maybe one more spot for perhaps a graduate, like, you know, for spring semester that might appear in the portal that's not there right now? Because the deadline is passed if you're not going to graduate, but they might be waiting for – you know, there's always a unicorn out there, it feels like, but maybe somebody to pop up in the portal that fits that might just be completing their undergraduate education in the next couple of weeks or so. Yeah, I do think there is a guy. I mean, there are guys. Uh, I think I think linebackers a position they're waiting to see. I've I've talked about a guy that could enter, uh, you know, and, and, and if he enters or if there's somebody that pops out to him. Yeah, sure. They're going to jump on that. And as I said, you know, last time I was on here uh, with with Aslan, I don't. I don't think the NCAA is going to really enforce this unless it's like in June with the with the uh, immediate eligibility. So I th- I think a lot of teams know that, but I think grad transfers. If a guy pops in there, you know, for those that don't know, grad transfers they don't have to wait; they can jump right in, they can play. There's no problem. So we know there's guys going to be popping in and out. So yeah, I think they're holding like one or two spots for you know somebody to catch their attention. And and right now. I mentioned those four on our site, but then I mentioned the other two that I think are that I'm really focused on. But that's kind of where they're at right now uh, as far as the activity. But they're going to be very careful. But it, hey, we as we saw with Josh Newton, the moment that kid jumped in, FSU was on him like a piece of meat, and they were they were all over it. Um, so if there's a guy that that catches their fancy, they're gonna they're definitely gonna hold a spot and um, certainly go after him. Michael Langston, the senior recruiting and also senior transfer portal analyst at Warchant.com. We got to update that business card. Hey, by the way, by the way, Tom, uh, Diane was nervous as a cat on a tin roof watching your lightning last night, (laughs) and she's excited for you. She told me to tell you, uh, congratulations. My Celtics won today, so I'm excited. So game seven, but I just wanted to tell you before I let uh, jump off that that she's a big lightning fan. So I told her she should text you during the game. So. Well, you tell her, go Bolts. Uh, game sevens were good to your household this weekend and mine, hopefully. Uh, if you hear the screams of bloody murder in the background on my microphone, my wife and uh, and our friends, the Linnefelts, are watching the Rangers and Penguins game seven downstairs. So uh, 
it'll get fired up. But Michael, thank you so much for your uh, your help and your insights this weekend, as always. You're going to ask me something, Byron? No, I was just going to say you're also uh, Ricky Ricky Argro's hype man. Yes, uh, the sprints coach yes. on the track team. So I figured oh, you might want to give give him a shout out for. Uh, what they're doing in the track. Yeah. Program. Yeah. I actually texted Ricky last night. I was excited for him. I know how hard Ricky and they, and it hasn't gone the way the last year or so for, for with the way they want it, but I was excited for Ricky. He works hard. I don't think there's anybody that works as hard as Ricky. Uh, he's a really good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time, does great work. Um, um, uh, shout out to those track and field guys. Back to back championships is, uh, is a big deal. So big weekend for Florida state. Thanks, Michael. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon right here on WarChant TV. You can check it out. If you subscribe to WarChant TV, you will be notified the next time that there's a recruiting show where you can ask Michael for an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, anything you want to know about kids from 2027 or transfers, like for the now. That's what Michael does. So uh, we appreciate his insights, uh, as always. Ira, it'll be interesting, too. Um, You know, you brought up the offensive lineman, and maybe the coaching staff feels more comfortable than we do. You know, personally speaking, I'm fine. And you know this because we were at spring practice together all camp. I'm fine with Bless Harris. I, I think right. that's that can play immediately. My concern is is Caden Lyles and the consistency of of working with maybe some important reps in uh, in fall camp. How do you feel about those two players? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Bless, you could see the natural ability, no question. I mean, he's a talented guy. I think if I'm uh, either Derek McClendon or Jared Verse, one of them singled him out as the toughest guy to go against. Uh, an offensive tackle. And that's, you know, again, um, you know, they've got some, you know, they've got some players that, that have started a lot and now bless Harris comes in and may be uh, able to win that job at, at right tackle. But I also think, you know, Robert Scott is, is I think Robert Scott's better than he showed last year. He was a little bit banged up. I think, I think Caden Lyles could be a factor. I think he may end up still winning that job at center. But I think what happened is a lot of us thought, he would step foot on campus. He's 300, what is he, 320 pounds, 330 pounds. Yes, He's just a massive Wisconsin offensive center. And we thought he would come in and just step right in for Maurice Smith. Well, Maurice Smith has started for two years. He's a guy that knows the offense. He knows all the calls, knows all the reads, knows exactly what Alex Atkins wants out of that center position. Caden Lyles kind of worked with him, but Caden but didn't actually just beat him out right from day one. So I think people are assuming that maybe he's not what they thought he would. Well, there's still three or four months before the season starts. There was only he had been on campus for a month or two. So I, all I'm saying is, and Maurice Smith may still win the job, but I believe the fact that you have Kane Lyles, a he may win the job, but b if something if Maurice Smith wears down physically like he has in the past, now you've got Kane Lyles, and, and again that's just a big deal. So I think I think that offensive line may be better than than a lot of people gave credit for this spring. You know, we'll have to see. Um, the other thing I want to bring up is Destin Hill. And I, I was, you know, somebody asked in the uh, chat if he really exists. You know, the other day I caught you on, uh, you know, Jeff's show, the JCS. And Jeff was Jeff was making his Destin Hill jokes and talking about how he's 35 years old. And it's just amazing how that whole thing has taken on a life of his own. Yeah. He signed last year. Right. He missed one season. If he enrolls this summer, he'll be one year older than he was. Last, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. it's become it's become the Desha, the Deshaun Platt story of the early two thousands where people would talk about Deshaun Platt for years and years and years. You know, we'll see. I mean, if Destin Hill, you know, from what we hear, there are people at FSU who think he will be enrolling for for this fall. If he does, he hasn't played football in a year. We don't know how big of a factor he would be, even if he is. But it's it is funny that people act like Destin Hill's you know been off the map now for three or four years. 
He signed with FSU a year ago. And he will still show up bald and with three children. Uh, he's draped on him. And, uh, uh, yeah, that, if you caught us snickering, Michael and I, when you were talking uh, during the hit, Ira, it's because it's because you mentioned the name. <laughs> because every platform on Warchant TV here or the boards or whatever show, email inboxes, Twitter, Destin Hill is asked about incessantly. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a payoff at the end of it that he was a dominant football player? Because then it would almost justify – uh, the way that he always appears in the chat. Uh, but we'll see. It's interesting, though, that the coaching staff continues to project confidence there. Um, it's just, it is interesting to me, and it is telling. Uh, Michael is certainly on it. You know, if they're not really hunting down a wide receiver, that means one of two things, or maybe two things at the same time, that Wright's recovery time, Winston Wright's recovery time is, is ahead of schedule. That's the first I've heard of that today, but you gave me more hope. You two did. Uh, and then maybe Dustin Hill can can fill a spot there. Um Let's just let me uh, ask this question hypothetically. If Winston Wright's injury recovery time is not great, but Destin Hill gets on campus and he does exist indeed, would you still go after a receiver if Wright can't play this year? What would you do? Uh, you know, if Wright can't play this year, I would. Um, but I don't think it's a it's a it's a, a huge problem. If I would, but yeah. I also don't. I I don't think it's a disaster if they don't get a really good wide receiver over the next couple of months. The only reason I say that is, you know, they did, Micah Pittman was a hit. I mean, he's going to be, uh, you know, he's going to be a, a legitimate part of this offense. Um, he's a nice player. Um, the, uh, you know, Johnny Wilson, I think he's going to be a better player than some other people think six, seven with that speed, that catch radius. I think he's going to play well this fall. Um, you know, now you got Pokey Wilson is like a third guy. You've got Malik McLean, who who started a bunch of games last year. You've got several other guys in that group now that can be role players, complimentary players. So I still think that receiving core can be an can be a solid average to above average receiving core if it all plays out. Now I would still go get one because you'd like to be a better than average. You'd like to be right. an above average. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's a dumpster fire. There they were a dumpster fire at times last season. I don't think that's where they are right now, but you know, you'd obviously like to get better. Well, folks, if you like us, then you're really going to love us talking about wide receivers on Warchan TV. Ira and I have a 20-minute breakdown where we go player by player at the wide receiver position. That piece, uh, the written piece, is coming to warchant.com earlier this week. That video will be released soon, so make sure to like underneath this video. Subscribe to Warchan TV because you'll be alerted when we post that. We go player by player. So if you want our thoughts on where the receivers are after spring camp, uh, that is still forthcoming. Thank you, Matthew. Make sure to hit the like button below. Director Matthew holding it down tonight for us on Sunday Smash. If you're just joining us, use that DVR function on YouTube TV. We have Michael Langston on. We talked about the transfer portal for a good long time. And then Florida State just keeps winning across the board. A good weekend on the diamond for softball. They win the ACC championship, 18th time in program history. They are now the number two national seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they know they're hosting. Uh, you, again, you can find those teams. It's Mississippi State, USF, and Howard if I recall, but those teams are coming to Tallahassee. And then the Knowles baseball team takes two of three from Miami. They are now in striking distance of hosting their own Tallahassee regional. Uh, again, Ira, just to kind of reset things, uh, this week you've been everywhere. Amelia Island, Hauser Stadium. I don't know if you're going down to Gainesville on Tuesday or if anybody is for, for the site to cover Florida State at uh, the Gators, um, but that's a big baseball game. Right. Just uh, take me through your journey this week. And uh, some things that stuck out to you, whether it is Amelia Island or or this weekend uh, on the diamond for the folks who are just joining us. Yeah, you know, one of the and again the, at Amelia Island, we obviously 
ACC meetings, we talked a lot about scheduling. That was a big deal. And then we, you know, some of the bigger picture things as well. But really, uh, you know, the, the NIL tampering, uh, illegal, you know, recruiting, using NIL as an incentive. Uh, it was interesting. This is the first time we've been, I, the first time I've been since all this kind of came about over the last few months around other people in the conference and around other people in college football. And, you know, I've started to wonder sometimes if, if so much of the concern is, is that a Florida State thing? Are people in Florida State maybe ultra concerned because of concerns about maybe they don't have enough money to compete with some of these other schools? Or maybe, you know, they see the Travis Hunter situation. They feel like that was a part of that. Um, is it magnified at Florida State? But I can tell you, talking to administrators at all of these schools from Clemson to Miami to across the board, uh, it is the number one topic. And, you know, talking to Mike Bray, Notre Dame's Ben's basketball coach, and he talked about when this situation happened at UM with, um, you know, they announced that they, Nigel Pack had signed with them from Kansas State uh, and automatically they announced their NIL deal. And then the, you got a player saying he's going to hold out because he wants a bigger NIL deal and you have all this going on. This is something that's, it, it, it really has been across the country. Mike Bray said when he heard it, he, he, he just was like, man, what is happening to our sport? You know, obviously college basketball is not a pure sport. There's been a lot of stuff going on in college basketball for a long time, but for it to happen at that publicly in the fact that the NCAA doesn't seem to be doing anything about it, makes people feel like, okay, this thing is going to go to a completely different level. And you know, the NCAA came out with that statement last week that they are going to try to crack down on it a little bit. Uh, a lot of people don't know whether to believe that, but the, the one thing that, you know, that I wrote about that kind of came out from a lot of people I talked to was if, if, if nobody gets hit by the NCAA in the next month or two for any of these cases where, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the Jordan Addison case is one. If he ends up going to Southern Cal and getting a $3 million deal, which was the rumor when he was still a pit, if some of those things play out without the NCAA doing anything, then it's going to – what we think right now is the Wild West is going to be nothing compared to what it ends up being becoming. So that was something that um, was interesting to me just to hear other schools, ADs at Clemson and other places, very concerned about this. This is not a Florida State issue. It's across college sports. No, what it did was it sent him to ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, which is presenting this program tonight, Sunday Smash, uh, because the future is – it's going to be strange. There's going to be a lot of growing pains over the next little while. Take a look at the ticker that Director Matthew is going to wipe up for information about our friends at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. They make your game days better, and you can drown your sorrows, celebrate and toast to victories like a Game 7 hockey victory. I don't know, maybe something like that. Uh, but ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, they're awesome friends of ours, and uh, they sponsor tonight's Sunday Smash. Let me ask you this, Ira, about Coach Norvell. Not to give anything away from the lunch you had with him or any of the off-the-record talk, but, you know, much has been made, and there are some articles that put coaches on the hot seat at different websites. That's not what we do. Uh, but some are implicating that, you know, this is a, a hot seat year for Mike Norvell. I think that's premature, but it is a critical year. Just in the sense of you've seen him in practices, now you've seen him in a more, I don't want to call it lighthearted, but maybe he's a, a little less wired tight at Amelia Island. Do you get the sense that he's feeling the urgency of what this year 2022 is for himself, for the program under his guidance. Do you get that sense that there is real urgency to get it right this year? Well, there's no question. I mean, he gets it. Um, he understands the pressure uh, that's on him and the fact that they need to win uh, for a couple of different reasons. Number one, obviously to keep you know fans engaged, to keep people believing in him, but also from a recruiting standpoint, uh, I think that, you know, they feel as a staff and, you know, Michael could have talked about this more when we were on, when he was on, but, 
you know, I feel like they feel like they're in on some big time recruits, but they have to win this season. Now, does that mean 10 wins or 11 wins? No, it doesn't have to be that, but it has to be another significant step from where they were. So, you know, if you win seven games, eight games, maybe nine games, now you've got those kids that, that you're involved with that are higher level recruits are going to feel a little bit more confident in what you can do. So I think he knows it's a huge year, but he also seemed really confident. I will say that. I mean, I was around him for four day, three days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday over to Millie Island. And, and uh, he seems very confident about this team. One thing he talked about that I think we, we talked about at the beginning of spring, but then we kind of maybe turned on, uh, to other stories as the spring went on. But one thing he brought up uh, in a couple of conversations I heard him say was, you know, this is the first time they've had true competition at a bunch of different positions. Mm-hmm. And I think when you think about it, you know, last year when they brought in those guys from the portal, they brought in like 11 or 12 guys in the portal last year. But in some of those cases, they were brought in to start. J- Jermaine Johnson, Keir Thomas, they were brought in to start. Um, you know, that, that's been the case with a lot of different you know guys that they brought in the last couple of years. This year, a lot of these guys they brought in are going to compete with guys who are already starters. Caden Lyles is a perfect example. He comes in to compete with Maurice Smith, who's a two-year starter. Bless Harris comes in to compete with Darius Washington, who's a two-year starter. Uh, it, it, you know, in linebacker, Tatum Bethune comes in to compete where you return all of your top linebackers. So there's there's a greedy Vance at corner. You, you brought him in to compete. That he, he talked about that a lot this week in a couple of conversations about just what that's done, what that did to those practices and what that has done to the offseason workouts where you have legitimate competition between guys who have done it here and guys who have done it at other schools. Now, maybe the guys who have done it here haven't done it at a high enough level, but it's not like there's nobody there. There's legitimate competition. And I think he thinks, I think that that's going to be a big difference for this team going into the season. Yeah, and, and that bears out. I mean, it we see the practices. It it did feel like there was competition at a lot of different positions where you're saying, oh, on a different day, somebody else stood out. It's not um, – I, I might probably said this a little bit too much during spring camp when we were covering it, but nobody's winning a, a position and a job by default. Like, there's there's nobody that's just going to win it no matter what. So who cares if they have a bad Tuesday in practice? No, you need to bring it. Like, for that second corner job – receiver, uh, right guard or right tackle this year. There's going to be competition for those jobs. I mean, center, too, with Caden Lyles and Maurice Smith. Pretty much everywhere you look, running back. You think Treshawn Ward thinks his job is safe with what Trey Benson did in the right. spring game? No. So, yeah, that those even, are the steps. Go ahead. Yeah, even you, know, you bring in Jared Verse, who's as big of a transfer candidate as there was in the country. Yep. You know, there are guys, they do have guys. Dennis Briggs has started and played a ton of football for State, not all at defensive end, but he can, he's going to be that Keir Thomas kind of defensive end. But you also have, you know, Derek McClendon, and you had some other guys uh, in that group. Now, you know, Quayshon Fuller ends up transferring out. I think maybe that speaks to what Jared Verse brings and, and, and what they've done at that position. But then you've got those young defensive linemen uh, that are competing as well. So, yeah, I just think that that's exciting. And I think it has Norvell excited because, you know, legitimately there is there's good competition. And then you've got younger players coming along uh, as well who can continue to push. What's interesting, too, to me, and, and I can't wait to hear this from Austin Cox or, or Michael Langston, um, you know, one of my first jobs, I think it was the first assignment I had last year when I joined Warchamp was we went up to Charlotte. We got in the, in the van and we made the drive up from Tallahassee, and, and that was a really good time. It was really cool because it made things official. But I was picking Austin's brain about the messaging, the coaching staff messaging, and Kenny Dillingham was a big part of this last year, to the upcoming class. 
And they were telling the kids that they're shooting for six and six, that they hope that they can get to six and six. They weren't afraid to say that. They weren't selling pie in the sky dreams of winning the Atlantic division and promising the world. They were realistic. They were blunt that things aren't great, but they're going to be better. Now, did they hit the six and six goal? No, but I'll be interested, Ira, in a couple months time after they have a busy June, as Michael just said, um, what will the messaging be? Are they going to tell the kids the number that they're looking for? Is it seven? Is it eight? I'll, I'll be curious because it seems like this coaching staff is realistic and blunt about where things are. It should be better, but is it seven or eight wins better? I'll, I'll be fascinated to hear that. Yeah, and I think last year they, I did, I do think they put that number out there, or at least, you know, we're gonna get, we're gonna try to get to five hundred, something along those yeah. lines. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, know that they'll put a number on it this year, but I, you know, you do get the sense that they feel like. You know, kids are smart, you know, and kids and the people around them are smart. And they're going to say, you know, look, if, if you were five and seven last year, you're in year three of your program, you've brought in some transfers, you've done a lot of different things. And if you don't make any progress, are you going to be here in a year from now? I agree with you. Yeah. Mike Norvell's not on the hot, hot seat right now. But if they go five and seven again or yeah. six and six, if he does make it to another year, how much confidence are kids going to be about signing with him and signing with Florida State? So again, there's just so much on that, you know, that that scene. And one of the thing, the interesting things at the AC meetings also was talking to some of the other media, uh, whether it's people at ESPN or other outlets, uh, about their thoughts about Florida State. And a lot of them were asking me, you know, is is are they going to be a seven win team? Are they going to be an eight win team? You know, it. But most of the questions even from the outside where people, they, they're aware of how much production returns. They're aware that they have upgraded the roster and, you know, they're kind of uh, basically asking me if I agree that this is a team that could take that next step. And I do think they will. I mean, I, Jordan's got to stay healthy. There's a couple of positions where they can't have a lot of injuries. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll be surprised if this team doesn't win seven or eight games next year. Yeah, the thing to remember too, if you want to be positive and we will try and keep it positive as we're wrapping up here on Sunday smash is while Jermaine Johnson and Keir Thomas aren't coming back, and that's a big deal, this group was 5-3 and three to finish the season, and they were in a couple of those games that they lost late. Clemson was a close game. Florida was a close game, although that was kind of a cluster, especially with the officials. But, I mean, they were in a lot of games uh, down the stretch. They won five of them. That's over 500. Um, you'd like to think if they played that Jacksonville State game a lot more often, uh, like, you know, 100 times, uh, not to do the Dabo thing, but they win 90-something times in that particular situation. So, they, they're close in that sense, but still, close ain't going to cut it if the results don't come, if they actually don't come. And so I guess in the final couple of minutes, Ira, that we have here tonight, uh, of those first three games, and uh, Duquesne you could just toss, um, LSU or Louisville, which game do you think is more important to send the message that they've improved? Uh, if you had to pick one, is it the LSU game because of the national spotlight Florida State will be under? Or is it the Louisville game? Because at some point you've got to beat the Louisvilles of the world if you're going to get where you want to go. Yeah, I mean that's the mindset I've been I've had uh, really since the end of last season. Is really the next step of this program is they need to beat Louisville. They need to be way forced at home. Um, you know, NC State on the roads on the on the road is probably going to be a tough ask, uh, but it would be great to, to to win that game. I mean, those are the programs they need to get back to you know to beating consistently. Um, and you know, and I, I guess. To me, I don't know if I would pick one or the other. I think, you know, if they beat LSU, that would be a big deal from a prestige standpoint. It's the only game on that night. Um, you know, it would be a lot of excitement around that uh, that kind of a win. 
But the Louisville game to me would be a little bit more indicative of where FSU needs to be in terms of the conference, because you'd be going on the road to a team that's beat you two, the last two years. Um, the, what's challenging though, you know, what, not challenging, but I guess what's a little bit concerning, you know, and Austin's been doing those previews on the site, looking at the other teams in the conference on the schedule and kind of how their springs went. You know, you just, you know, looking at these quarterbacks and it's just like, man, every team they play has a good quarterback. And whether it's Malik Cunningham, whether it's, you know, Sam Hartman, you know, really across the board, there's so many good quarterbacks that they're going to be facing. The Leary kid, Devin Leary at NC State, um, he had 35 touchdowns and five picks last year. Yes, yes. I mean, so it's just like they're going to have to play really well uh, to win these games. I, you know, I do think, uh, you know, again, as I said, I think they're going to play a lot better. But this schedule is going to be tough, man. There's, it's going to be a, uh, you know, we'll, I think we'll know in the first four, three or four weeks uh, what we're looking at. Yeah, the, uh, Devin Leary uh, at NC State, those numbers are crazy, Ira. You're right. Um, and we saw it coming. Uh, if he was eligible to get out of NC State last year, this would have been the year to enter the NFL draft if you're a Devin Leary uh, because it was a slim pickings. I, I was surprised to see so many of the quarterbacks in the Atlantic specifically come back. Well, you know, he's a lot of them don't – they're just not – I don't know how well they project. You know, Devin Leary is, I think, a six-one guy. Right, um, right. Sam Hartman, I don't know how he projects. So I think that's the – they're in this division – with these really good college quarterbacks yep. who aren't in a rush to jump out and be first round picks. So it's, uh, you know, I, you know, it's going to be a very, they're going to have to play well. They're not going to beat any of these teams, uh, especially yep. the, you know, just by, by being Florida state, they've got to play well. And that definition has changed over the last five years. Okay. I lied. One more question. One more question. If you get 12 games, I heard the doorbell. So I, I think that means dinner's on the way or something. No, no, somebody, I don't know who it was. Somebody. Oh, okay. Tim got it. Uh, prank caller, prank caller. Um, if Jordan Travis is healthy for 12 games, where do you see him fitting in the ACC in terms of the best quarterbacks? Is he a top five guy in the ACC, a top three guy? If he's healthy for 12 games, what do people consider Jordan Travis in the ACC hierarchy by the end of the season? I think he's top four if he's healthy. I mean, you know, we, I think we take some things he does for granted. You know, some yeah. of the things he does from a running standpoint – He's not just a good runner. You know, there've been a lot of, there's a lot of good runners. He's elite. I mean, he is as dangerous a runner as there is. The question is, can he stay healthy? And, and is he the best passer in the world? No, but with that running ability in a good backfield, he doesn't need to be. Yeah. You know, he yeah. can, there's going to be things that are open just because he just has to see it and get it out of his hands. So yeah. And I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. If he can stay healthy, that's the, the, that's the challenge. Now, on the flip side is, you know, and this is going to be the big concern for Mike Norvell and this staff, is if anything happens to Jordan, it can change your outlook for this season dramatically. And then you get back into that original question of what they've done in the portal at quarterback. Um, but, man, if you if you love Florida State and you love uh, and you hope Mike Norvell and you believe in Mike Norvell, uh, you know, you really got to just hope that, you know, everything stays okay with Jordan because I think he's the key to all of it. Tons going on for Florida State sports right now. Obviously, uh, softball is hosting regional this week. The baseball team going down to Gainesville on Tuesday. Chapel Hill for the weekend. I think it's a Thursday through Saturday series uh, as ACC tournament is in a week. So those two sports could be hosting here in Tallahassee in a couple weekends together at the same time. That would be really cool. Uh, more coverage of the transfer portal, recruiting, big picture issues. Uh, that's what we're doing right now at Warchant TV and Warchant.com. Make sure to hit the like button underneath this video. Subscribe to our channel. If you have not done so already, there'll be more great content coming this week. 
congratulations to the softball team for winning the ACC championship, for the track and field team for winning the ACC championship. Eric Angel, I saw you. It's water tonight for me because the 50th anniversary, the wine was flowing. So it's water tonight for me. Uh, Ira is having the red stripe, though. You did catch that right, Eric. Thank you for your support of the program tonight. James B., thank you for, again from the top rope. Really appreciate you. Look forward to seeing you at the next event that we have at warchant.com coming up in, in a few months. Ira, go ahead. Yeah, just one last comment. There's a conversation in the chat, James B. and Jeremy Morris and a couple other people talking about the you know discipline and intelligence that FSU played with in the second half of last season. Yep. There are people in the program I've talked to who believe that that was the singular biggest difference in this team between the 0-4 start and the last eight games is that they stopped making the dumb penalties. They stopped doing uh, just all the silliness that was really sabotaging them early in the season. And then, and I really think the Florida game is a perfect example of what happens if they don't do that because they reverted. They got into it with the Florida players. They lost their composure, went back to making those silly mistakes, and then they got another L. I think really they learned a big lesson in that, and I think they if they play clean like they did in those five or six games there in the middle, uh, I think that's key. I just want to compliment them because I think that's a really good point. It's a great point. You saw it in the defense especially. It seemed like it was a collection of players doing their jobs and assuming that their teammates were going to do their jobs instead of freelancing and trying to do everything at once. It, it does look different. It, you know, It's not just an intangible. You can see when that happens, and, and at least defensively, I'll say it now, it looked that way again in the spring. Uh, once the offense had that great day, the defense just shut the clamps down. They said, "The hell with you. No, this is this is the way it's going to be. We look forward to, obviously, uh, a few months from now when we're in the throes of camp. In three months, we'll be in the throes of fall camp towards the opening kickoff for Florida State and Duquesne. Uh, Ira, as always, it's been fun. Um, we look forward to uh, doing some work with you this week on Warchant.com and Warchant TV. Uh, hope everybody out there had fun. Those of you listening on the podcast version of this, too, we thank you so much for your support of Warchant and what we do here for Irish Chaffel, the managing editor of Warchant.com, Director Matthew, who did a wonderful job tonight producing the program. As always, my name is Tom Lang. We will talk to you on Warchant TV next time. Good night, everybody.